Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. We're here on the campus of the University of Georgia in Athens with a full house of <laughs> Athens residents and a great many students at the University of Georgia. We've got a lot to talk about tonight, and one of the things we're going to do tonight is find out what are students thinking about uh, in uh, April of uh, this year, in the spring of this year. Um, let's introduce our panel. I'm going to start with the dean, the, the man who taught both Greg Bluestein and Jim Galloway about a third of what they know about politics More than today. That. What's that? More than that. More than that. Uh, Dr. Charles Bullock of the University of Georgia. How long, how long have you been teaching here, Charles? I'm about to wrap up 51 years. Unreal. 51 years. Well, congratulations on that. Uh, right next to him, Greg Bluestein, political reporter for the AJC. And we have two students who are uh, in the political science department. You listen to uh, Audrey Haynes on our show, prof professor of political science here at the University of Georgia. You know about her, about her applied political science program. Jalen Black is a student in that program. She is a senior. And uh, you have pretty impressive credentials, Jalen. You worked in Washington this past summer for the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. You were an intern working with the Congressional Black Caucus. Anything else that uh, is going to make me feel like my time has passed? I think the best thing I did was um, work for Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams. So. Kelsey, Kelsey Pruitt is also a senior, about a month or so from graduation. Yes, May 10th. Wow, congratulations. <laughs> you. um, you're from Marietta. Mm -hmm. By the way, Jalen's from Stone Mountain. You're from Marietta. Um, you have been involved in Republican politics for a long time. You, you worked, you say, on a number of congressional, local, and statewide campaigns in, in the state and uh, did a lot of work in grassroots politics. Yes, yeah, so I worked at um, a full-service political consulting firm outside of Athens, War Room Strategies. Um, so that's where I got most of my experience for the past two years. But I did leave them in December to focus on college for my last semester. And, and you've also got something lined up after you graduate. You're going to be interning. You say, you say in general a Republican polling and database firm. Yeah. Can you tell us what firm? <laughs> I'd rather not, but oh. <laughs> it's one of them. No, we, sir, we work with a lot of these firms. We like to know who our new in will be, wouldn't we? Jim yeah. Galloway, lead political writer for the AJC. You read Jim on Wednesdays and Sundays in the newspaper. And of course, he oversees, sometimes in a weary way, the Political Insider blog, uh, which you see at AJC.com every day. Uh, go ahead. OK. Just one point of personal privilege. Sure. Okay. 45 years ago, I was a freshman here. Where that green shirt guy is? Yeah. Yeah, way green I had shirt my, guy. I had my first date with my wife. You did both have Charles Bullock. No, no. You I never had, did? I had Albert Say. Okay. But you I did. had Charles Bullock. Very briefly, because we got to get on the meat of the show. But you talked about when you were here as not only a student, but as editor of the Red and Black, yeah, some of the black. people who you associated with are people you cover at this point in your career. Yeah, we had another legendary professor named Conrad Fink who always told me when I was editor that the people who I was reporting on back then, I would be also reporting on if I stayed in journalism. And he was 100% correct. In Dr. Bullock's class, there was Jared Thomas, who ended up running Brian Kemp's campaign for Senate. Chuck Efstration, who's now a state representative, um, several Democrats who either ran for office or won office. So all over the Capitol, I see students that, who I went to school with back here. And in my class, there was John Barrow. 
who's now running for judge, right? Well, he's thinking about, I, th thinking. I, I don't know if he's formally announced yet. Well, he's sending out emails. <laughs> okay, all right. That's for sure. Uh, we should also say uh, we have, we're really uh, grateful that we have two of your uh, senators from out this way here. Senator Frank Ginn uh, is with us, and we really appreciate uh, you being here, Senator. And Senator Bill Cousert. Um, thank you both for, for being with us today. Where's Houston Gaines? I'm sorry. There you are. Representative Houston Gaines is here, too. Uh, so here's an interesting thing, Chuck, Charles. Houston Gaines is kind of an interesting case because I think you all thought out here at one point that maybe this delegation, the legislative delegation, will be moving more and more democratic. Mm -hmm. Started that way, but Houston Gaines came along and turned that on its head, right? Right. He and Marcus Weedauer took back the 117th, 119th, yeah. Okay. So where is the uh, delegation out in Athens-Clark County right now? Where is it headed? Probably drifting towards the Democratic Party, yeah. Like, Still. Like, like most of urban Georgia is. So Houston has his work cut out for it. <laughs> I want to ask you all a question and then bring everybody else in. How many of you students in this audience are registered actively currently to vote by applause. <laughs> Does that mean some of you are not? Uh, is it safe to say that there are a number of you who are not registered to vote still? Don't know? OK. How many of you actually voted in the 2018 general election by applause? OK. All right. Um, what do you see as the activism of students these days? One of the changes, and this started about 2014, is that we've always had a lot of very active students, but for a number of years before that, they were overwhelmingly Republican. Now, there's still more Republican activists than Democratic activists, but the number of Democratic activists have increased in the last three election cycles. Is that a surprise you, Jalen or Kelsey? They're saying you're the Republican on, on the panel. Uh, do you think that Charles Bullock, Dr. Bullock, has seen something that you're countering with more Republican activism as well? Um, that's a good question. I think after, I think especially in the Kemp campaign when there was, everyone on the Democrat side was super energized on campus, but it almost kind of inspired an equal and opposite reaction with Republican students, I think. Um, I don't know if that's, I don't know. That's what I kind of think, especially when you would go to UGA games. There were students, all types of students, half wearing Stacey Abrams stickers during tailgates and half wearing Kemp stickers. Um, we so should mention that Kemp is from Athens. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right, this of course. So. Yeah. Jalen? I would agree. I think you see a lot of activism on both sides, and I think that's a great thing. Um, as you said, I, on the Democratic side, I'm in particular very excited about our candidates and the opportunity in the state of Georgia. Um, and I think moving forward, especially in 2020, you'll see a lot more of that. Greg, I, I should have looked it up, and I didn't. Do you, do you know off the top of your head the Athens-Clark County vote for governor? It was interesting because Governor Kemp went into this campaign knowing he would lose his home county. Um, and I, I can't remember what it was off the top of my head, but he, it was, I don't think it was very close in Athens. There's also a tremendous amount of search, turnout in Athens, not just in this election, but that 2017 special election, partly because there is a T-SPLOS vote on the yeah. ballot. Governor Kemp and every, every Republican candidate on the ballot made it a very big point to be all over Athens during tailgate football season. They'd be out there greeting voters, greeting students as they walked in. They saw that as a very important part of their campaign. That, that's a statewide network yeah. is what that is. Yeah. Jim, do you think it's interesting, uh, Jalen worked for Stacey Abrams in her gubernatorial campaign. She seems to be someone who can energize young people in a way that more traditional politicians that we're used to seeing haven't done. Is that a fair statement? I don't think we've ever had a, 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 a Democratic candidate for governor who has lost the race and, and then gone on to, 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 to work every late night talk show around uh, MSNBC, uh, who has been you know, watched. Uh, is she going to run for US Senate? Is she going to run for, for, uh, for, for president? My goodness. To answer, yes. If you are into politics, that's exciting. Senator Kauser, what do you say about the fact that uh, Charles Bullock is saying Athens-Clark County seems to be trending Democratic, Stacey Abrams is excited, folks here, does it make you feel a little lonely tonight? <laughs> <laughs> well, Bill, I've kind of gotten used to that over the years. This is the Blue Island in the Red Sea. Uh, 
And it is, uh, it, it's almost concentric circles going out from Athens. It's very democratic here. Uh, I typically get about 40% of the vote in my home county. Uh, then Oconee County, you got about 70% Republican, and down in Walton County, it's 75 to 80% Republican, and that shocks people here that have a little different worldview to realize that once you get out of this uh, academic community, uh, the rest of the state is probably a lot more conservative than Athens. It's not completely unlike what we've watched in the 7th District back there in Metro, where you've got a Democratic County, Gwinnett, or certainly trending Democratic, but Fayette County balances it and, and, and may, in fact, uh, more than make up for the Democratic Forsyth. vote. Forsyth County. Forsyth County. Uh, Forsyth County, yes. Thank you very much. Um, all right. Uh, Greg Bluestein, you've been tracking Republican and Democrats having come out of the legislative session where we all know there have been some social issues that suddenly have come rushing back uh, into the political landscape here. The most obvious one and the most controversial, HB 481, which is the measure that pretty much outlaws abortion six weeks. Mm -hmm. is, uh, the, at that point, that's the cutoff. And Democrats, like, like Melita Easters, are energizing candidates, women particularly, to go out and run against some of these Republican incumbents. What's happening? Yeah, if you look at one of the themes of the 2018 session, it was that Lawmakers, for the most part, sidestep cultural issues. And if you look at one of the themes of this past session, it was the opposite, right? I mean, the heartbeat bill became one of the centerpieces of the, of the legislative session. It wasn't the only accomplishment or legislation passed by the Republican-dominated legislature, but it, was, it overshadows a lot of the other things that otherwise would have gotten the brunt of the news. Um, and in this case, you already had Democrats who were energized, who were talking about running for these seats. Um, but now they, they say this has further energized and mobilized them. And just, uh, just the other day, Melita Easters, who runs the Georgia Win List, um, who, which supports Democratic women who are pro-abortion rights, came out with seven, uh, what she called just the beginning, the first wave of seven uh, Democratic women who are running for various uh, competitive seats all over Metro Atlanta. And, and it's just the first of many, uh, a big target that Democrats are putting on a lot of these Republicans who voted for this measure, and some who didn't vote for it, too. Charles, uh, Democrats, and we see with Melita Easters, she, she, of course, is the founder and director of the Georgia Win List, which specifically uh, goes after Democratic women who are pro-choice to, to run. But we're hearing from Republicans, I may just ask uh, Senator Ginn about this in a second, we're hearing Republicans say, yes, we know that Democrats are being energized in, because of their opposition to uh, HB 481, but you're hearing Republicans say, well, we have people we're going to turn out at the polls uh, in 2020 who are thrilled that we passed that legislation and are going to show up to support us. And you could say conservatives may be able to rally their people to say they need you more than ever. Yes? Certainly that's possible. Yeah, but keep in mind that here in Georgia, the vote that you're really playing for is the white female vote. Minority vote is pretty much locked up from the Democratic side. White males overwhelming the Republican. And so it's the white females and the number of these candidates that they fit that profile and certainly a number of the winners this last year do also. Uh, yeah, first, uh, Melita Easters, class of 77, UGA. <laughs> okay. So, but uh, what strikes me here, and this is, and, and this is where we kind of probably need to, to tap our, our, our students here, but this is where the center has done some research where you have abortion and government issues like this, this is where Republicans are using, losing young people. And, and, and I, th I think that's probably the most worrisome if you're a Republican in Georgia. Uh, okay, let me do an, an audience response. How many of you believe that HB 481 will have an impact on how you cast ballots for legislators in the 2020 election cycle? <laughs> All right, and how many of you will be more inclined to vote Democratic than Republican. All right, so Senator Ginn, we have to be mindful of what Senator Cowsert said. We're in athens Clark County. This is a Democratic uh, uh, county. Uh, but how concerned are you that 481 might be, in fact, uh, dangerous for Republican incumbents? Maybe not out this way, but particularly in Metro Atlanta. I am concerned about that and what that bill actually does to my colleagues 
in the, in the Republican caucus. It's in both the House and the Senate and what it can do across the state. But for me, I'm going to ask this question to our audience members, and, and this was by far the toughest piece of legislation I've ever dealt with. It said, we see across the nation where abortions are, are performed post-delivery. said, the, uh, uh, that's not me. I had a lady, I had a lady. Wait, 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 wait. So I, I, I want to, uh, let, me, let me just make, all right. Let me go on. said, I had a, I had a, a, a young lady come to, to me that day that this bill was heard in the Senate. She was d due to deliver May the 1st. When I started in the Senate the, uh, nine years ago, she could have gone to a doctor in Georgia and had an abortion 30 minutes before delivery. The, uh, and and, and they, everybody that was in the audience said, no, there's no way that could happen. I said, that's what the law allowed. We passed the fetal pain bill back oh, about eight years ago, seven, eight years ago, said the, uh, that cut it back to 20 weeks. I, I, I was fully in support of the fetal pain bill. I said, I don't know when a baby gets its soul. To me, that's the toughest part about this decision is that baby doesn't get to vote. And for us, said the, uh, we tried to do what we thought was the right thing. Let me, let me thank you. Uh, I know how passionate you all are about this. We're pat <laughs> we see it on the panel. Uh, one of the hallmarks of Political Rewind, and I hope you agree with this, is that we try to listen respectfully to everybody's thoughts. So I get that there are some of you in here who really are irritated <laughs> with what Senator Ginn just said. I would just ask that we try to listen Respectfully, is that fair? Okay, thank you. You know, Greg, every time we talk about this, we have to point out that this is one of those issues where, I mean, sure, there are some people playing a political calculation with it, but this comes out of people's deepest, deepest moral and religious convictions, which is what makes it so difficult. And it was a campaign promise for Governor Kemp. He yeah. said back in March of last year, I think it might have even been February, after Mississippi passed what then was one of the toughest abortion restrictions in the nation, he said, we're going to outdo Mississippi. He also made other campaign pledges that he says he'll still follow through on, but this was, the, this was the first one, the first big social conservative pledge, I should say, that he, that, he, that he attached himself to. Jim? The real damage that I think this bill does to Republicans is, is that it truly highlighted the gender schism in the state capitol in a way that I have never seen before. Uh, I mean, I think everybody, every, every, if you follow the, the, the insider blog, you probably saw the, the picture of Renee Unterman in the Senate, uh, backed by the 33 uh, other senators who voted for the bill. All were white, all were male. And, and she was the only female in the picture because Kay Kirkpatrick uh, had a funeral that day. Later said she would, vote, she would have voted against it. All right, But, it, but in, ahead, the same, in the same thing in the House, in the House, on the final vote, you had, you had eight House members take a walk on that bill. Seven were Republican, every one of them were men. All right, let's do this. Uh, let's, get into a, let's get to a break. Uh, and when we come back, let's not talk anymore about 481. Let's talk about some of the issues that are of concern, perhaps, to the University of Georgia uh, population. We'll do that. We're live in Athens at the University of Georgia. We'll be back in a moment. GPB is pleased to partner with the Savannah Music Festival for a special sneak peek of the highly anticipated Ken Burns documentary, Country Music. It explores questions like what is country music and where did it come from? Join us Wednesday, April 10th at 7 p.m. at the Jepson Center in Savannah. Along with this free preview, we'll also have a Q&A with filmmaker Dayton Duncan and singer-songwriter Daryl Scott. Go to gpb.org community for more information. On the next Fresh Air, Congress in the Trump era, we talk with Jake Sherman and Anna Palmer, who co-write Politico's newsletter Playbook and have written a new book called The Hill to Die On, The Battle for Congress and the Future of Trump's America. Join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 here on 88.5 GPB Atlanta. You can also listen live online at gpbnews.org. Stand with the facts. Welcome back to Political Rewind. We're in Athens, Georgia, on the campus of the University of Georgia with an audience watching us record the show. 
Jalen, Jalen Black, one of our two students on the panel. Jalen, uh, as we went to break, you said you did want to make an observation, a comment about 481, and I want to let you do that before we move on. For sure. First, I want to say thank you for um, sharing, um, Senator, who talked about his side of it. I do want to go back to what you said earlier about how um, white women are becoming a very, well, are a very important electorate in Georgia. And I think this is one of those bills that's really going to show, like, are you going to vote um, because you're a woman or vote more so because you're white? And I think it's going like, to tie back into you know, what issues are valued the most. Um, and I personally, I do think the bill is attack on human rights. Um, it should even be less of a partisan issue because um, six weeks, in my opinion, um, isn't a lot of time to know if you're pregnant. That's you know, a cycle, you know, half cycle. Um, so I do think this will be interesting going into, like you said, one of the first pieces of um, legislation that um, Governor Kemp promised okay. to see. Hey, wh while we got you, uh, 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 while you've got the ball, what do you want Stacey Abrams to run for next? You obviously believe in <laughs> Personally, I would love for her to be the governor of Georgia. Um, but she's, I think that's truly where her heart lies. But I couldn't tell you at this point. Maybe You're like, it. <laughs> whatever she does. Whatever she decides to do. <laughs> Charles Black, you said something as we, uh, Charles Bullock, you said something as we went into the uh, break. You pointed out uh, the composition of the state Senate between men, men and women. Right. There have never been more than two Republican women in the state Senate at any given time. Why? So, uh, well, you were going to lack of recruitment, or it also reflects, you know, that there is a gender gap in voting, too. It is, that it women is hard for like. a woman to get out of a, a, a Republican right, primary. Right. Yeah. And so, but on the House side, it's what's 42 Democratic women, 15 Republican women, I think, something like that. So there's been more than there. But on the Senate side, you just don't find Republican women. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Greg Bluestein, did you come to the University of Georgia on a Hope Scholarship? I did. Back then, it was it was more of a full ride than it is now. But I, I was lucky enough to get it back then. So, uh, you you pointed that out when you were here. All all of your cost, your tuition costs were paid. And some book costs as well. Is that one hundred fifty dollar right? book uh, book book fee? As long as I kept that 3.1, as long as you're over 3.0, and I was like 3.15 most of the time. <laughs> Barely made it. Yeah, I was kind of watching. Yeah, I was going through that with my son, who had a Hope Scholarship, too. You know, get that average up a little bit. Fortunately, he did. So, all right, but you're, you, you watch the legislature, you and Galloway both, very closely. What are the issues moving forward in terms of whether the state is going to be able to continue paying the Hope Scholarship, they've already cut it back. Uh, you don't get a full ride the way you used to. What are they dealing with moving forward? Well, the big question is whether those lines will intersect. And those lines are the Hope Scholarship, the lottery funded revenues, and the, the demand for Hope Scholarship. And back in 2010, they were worried that those lines would intersect within a few years. So Governor Deal, right after he got elected, um, passed, with a bipartisan support, passed legislation that would cut some of the awards as we see it now. The worry is in the next, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years, those lines could start to intersect again. And that's why you see the debates, the perennial debates now about legalizing casino gambling in Georgia to bolster the lottery funded Hope Scholarship. Kelsey, are you here on a Hope Scholarship? I am. I'm on Zell, which is really nice. <laughs> <laughs> and you too, Jim? as well. Uh, Jim Galloway, the other th issue, well, first, uh, uh, applause again. How many of you in the audience, students in the audience, are here? on Hope Scholarships. Okay, some. The other issue that we've, uh, that's been, that's come up now for a number of years is the inequitability of the Hope Scholarship. All too often it's going to families who come from better communities, better public schools. Families, frankly, like mine, where I could have paid the tuition at the University of Georgia. I did have the means, but might have been crazy not to accept it. Hope. It so is, it's called the, the the second car yeah. scholarship, <laughs> yeah. if, if you will, in, so, in, in many households. So that's the big. That's an issue that's been raised and will continue to be raised. Should the state figure out a way to give? Okay, and that leads us back to casino gambling here. There you go. Okay. All right. Because what what you're having, of course, we're we're dealing with. Uh, uh, the, the, the margin is wider in the Senate than in the House, but in the House it's 105 to 80, 75, 105 to 75. If you're going to pass casino gambling, you're going to need a two-thirds majority in both House. You're going to have to have Democrats. And the one Democratic insistence in all, these, all this casino 
uh, gambling legislation or horse track or whatever has been a, a scholarship that's means-based yeah. rather than, rather than, rather than uh, great. Kelsey, what do you think about that? I don't know. I personally would hate to see us lose the HOPE scholarship. Um, I think it provides really great opportunities for all different types of students, and that's just from like, my experience. I, hope we're talk I think we're talking about supplementing the HOPE with also a needs-based. Like the HOPE 2.0. So the question is, what about a needs-based scholarship? And the reason I ask you first is, you know, we, we know Republicans traditionally don't want to keep blowing up the budget, even if it's with casino revenues, uh, that's tax money that could go elsewhere, so. No, I think, um, I think it'd be okay to um, supplement it if we could find the right money in the right place. Jalen? Um, I think it's a matter, of kind of what Gret said, not that if the lines are gonna cross, but they are gonna cross, it's just a matter of time. Um, I think there should be a needs-based comp component because um, I was actually going to use your example. Some students coming in don't necessarily need it. It's certainly great. No one's going to deny free money, not saying that. Um, but we have to be careful about how we allocate that because you don't want to decentivize working hard to anyone. Um, and I think the idea of having the Hope and Zelda Miller Scholarship is to keep you know, the bright Georgia students in the state of Georgia because I'm sure many students can attest in the crowd that that's a big reason why we decided to stay in state um, versus other competitive schools. So I think um, it does need to be a needs-based component, uh, needs component because some schools, some students who cannot afford college otherwise, yeah. um, that could be the deal breaker of them going. Charles, you and I are old enough, Galloway's almost there, to remember when Zell Miller proposed the Hope Scholarship as part of his 1990 campaign for governor. And it was a tough fight. But one of the things that Zell Miller did that is still worth thinking, remembering is he looked, Florida had passed a lottery bill, right? right. But in Florida, and in Florida, they promised the money would be used for education but they put that money in the general right, right. education budget, and what happened? Right, and so therefore, yeah, it didn't all go for education. But also remember, too, that when the hope started, there was need-based. It was need-based. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah, but at first it was $60,000 household income, then it went to 100000 and then the lid was taken off. Do you know I completely yeah. forgot that that was the initial concept. That's why you need an old guy like me. The genius <laughs> of the, uh, what, what Zell Miller did that's worth remembering today is he said, no, no, this won't go into the general education right, budget right. because if you do that, legislators can easily right. say, oh, we got plenty of money for education right. from, this, from the, uh, our, our uh, lottery, so we won't give them as much of our state funds. Zell earmarked it specifically and in three buckets. It, and he got it into the Constitution, too, right at the very end, so you can't just change it by statute. It's also, for Hope Scholarship, Pre-K, Greg, and Technology. Technology and pre-K have given way, for the most part, to hope. Yeah, there's been there's there's still limited pre-K courses um, all over the state, but certainly the the the, um, the universal pre-K idea that, that was first originated back then, Zell Miller's, has gone sort of by the wayside. Um, but the big debate now is a uh, hope 2.0. I mean, Democrats and Republicans, for the most part, want to keep hope 1.0 as we know it now intact. But the question is, is there enough revenue to do something for a needs-based scholarship um, you know, to, to capture some of the people that might not have the 3.0 GPAs, but might have the, might have the income um, levels that you talked about earlier, the HOPE scholarship originally covered? Is it going to rely entirely on whether they pass a casino or horse race, uh, a paramutual wagering that's, bill? That's the, that's the only pot of money, I think, that's out there. Okay. So I think that's, so that, and that's why we're going, we're going to see the, these, uh, these casino billionaires kind of roll up to the Capitol year after year after year. All right, let's, uh, we have gotten just a ton of questions uh, from our audience uh, that we put on, on cards, they put on cards. So I want to ask you all to talk about uh, some of them. Uh, this one is from uh, DeMichelle Golden. Do I have it? DeMichelle, is that right? Uh, despite being a unified county and city government, the Athens vote is Here's a word that we hear a lot in politics today, gerrymandered. What can we do to change this so that our representatives actually represent us? Well, Greg, gerrymandering is one of the biggest, most important issues in our political world today. The Supreme Court has tried to take it up. They've got some cases coming their way again. 
what's going to happen? Well, that's why the 2020 election is so important with this, because it will be, um, well, the governor gets the final say over this, but it will be the next group of legislators that will decide after the census what these state political lines look like. They'll redraw the maps of Congress, they'll redraw the maps of the state house and the state senate, and that's why this next election is going to be so important, that effort. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it was interesting. I mean, when during the gov gubernatorial race, uh, people like Greg and me were saying that this is the Democrats' last hope. If they don't get the, uh, if they don't get the governor's mansion, then they're, they're, they're not at the table during this next round of, of redistricting. But to tell you the truth, the way things, the way, the, the way things are shifting into the legislature, it's, it's very possible that in 2020, uh, Democrats could get so close in the, in the House that, that you have some sort of shared power agreement, I think. It's, you know, it's, it's, and Charles, North Carolina went through that. Jim, uh, Jim makes the point. We have to remember that uh, lines are drawn by legislators and then have to be approved by the legislature before they're passed on to the governor for his signature. So if we have a lot more Democrats suddenly emerging, uh, it could be an interesting session in 2021. Well, it could be, and there be, might be some, some inducements like we saw playing out in 2002 to try to induce some members to change parties. Remember, that's how Republicans got control of the After state Senate. After Sonny Perdue right. uh, became right. governor, by right. surprise, beat the yeah. Democrat Roy right. Barnes, and suddenly you had uh, flips. So we might see that you know, if it was, you know, 92 to 88 kind of situation, something like this. Yeah. All right. Uh, where's Phil Smith? Phil? Stand up if you don't mind. We all know Phil Smith. I didn't know you were here tonight. Phil Smith's been talking about deficits, the debt, for what, 20 years now, Phil? He's the head of the Concord Coalition. I was a 1990 graduate of the University of Georgia. Why don't you ask your question briefly instead of my reading it? Thank you, Bill. So an issue that affects young people disproportionately at the federal level is the national debt. Today it stands at $22 trillion. Uh, in about five or six years, interest on the debt will be the third largest expense in the federal government. So my question is to, to the panel, does anybody in Washington even care about this issue anymore? Well, let's start with the students, because you point to that fact. So, Jalen, they're talking about your money. Yes, my money. And your children's money, and your grandchildren's money. It's scary. It's scary to think about um, us both being seniors. It's definitely something that we all have to start thinking about if you're not thinking about it now. Um, I think it's gonna come down to um, more legislators seeing what that's doing to the bright students you have coming out of college that it's not that they can't get that first job, it might not be enough money to sustain and to have a place to live in their desired city or something like that. Um, and I was just listening to, um, I don't remember which radio publication, but they were talking about how more students are living at home with their parents um, after graduation, and is it, oh, is the Gen Z, is that what we're called, um, are we lazy? Are we afraid to, you know, go out and make our own mistakes? I would argue, for some people, maybe, but also, you know, the economy, the, the deficit is, is something that, you know, we're thinking about now at 20, 21 years old, and where, to answer your question about do people care in Washington, I want to ask the same question, because it's definitely something I would like to know. Uh, you know, I would, I would, do you know what next Monday is? Next, next Monday is the 10th anniversary of the first big Tea Party rally at the state capitol in Atlanta. Oh, okay. We should point out, we should point out that if you're watching this on GPB TV, we were recording this show uh, before that big 10th anniversary. Okay. All right. My, my apologies That's there. That's fine. But, 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 uh, but the, the message in 2009 from the Tea Party was all about the deficit. Am I, am I not right? It was about it was about cutting spending. It was it was about reducing reducing uh, entitlements, and that talk has pretty much gone away. Well, uh, yeah. I'll also say, I mean, we're at a time where our economy is really good, and the legislators up there are really concerned about maybe some more social issues or other things, immigration, um, and they aren't really paying the attention to the economy that I think there once was a dire need for, especially in 2009. Yeah. All right. But you know what, Charles, Jim brings up an interesting point. The Tea Party pushed a lot of Republicans to the right with concerns about deficits, debt, 
And as he points out, they've disappeared, and we now have a Republican in the White House who is running up. They've not only have they as an organization as organizations uh, pretty much uh, disappeared, but the issues they cared about and fought for are no longer relevant to Republicans in Washington. Right, and it's kind of cyclical because you remember back Ross Perot in 1992. He runs very, very well as a third-party candidate. And what was his issue? Again, it was the national debt. So it, uh, yeah, it's one of the things that hits episodically, but nobody wants to do anything about it. And you know, when the economy is good like it is now, is the time when you're supposed to start paying down some things so that you have some, you know, and we're I not doing that. I would say disappeared. I'd say more co-opted by, by mainstream Republicans. Oh, good point. Look, that Senator Perdue, what was one of his big 2014 election issues? It was reducing the deficit. And he's still pounding away. He's still, he's still talking Okay, about thank you for that. Uh, how many of you think that maybe it's true, students, if you don't mind, that maybe, is this something that's just off in the distant myths of the future? Do you work, how many of you, don't really give it much thought. Applause. <laughs> How many of you would say it's a big deal? <laughs> All right, thank you. Question for the same group. How many think student loans are a big deal? Oh. <laughs> you, ha you have the floor, Mr. Galloway. What would you like to say about student okay. loans right. and debt forgiveness? All right, this is going to tell you a little, little something about how the capital works, okay? <laughs> All right, there's a, there's a uh, uh, representative Republican named Scott Turner. He, where is he from? He's Holly Springs. Holly Springs, yes, Holly Springs. He had uh, HB 42. It was this bill that would stop the state, which it can't, which, which, and the state could do it then. The state could suspend the, the professional license of anybody who fell, fell behind on their student loan payments. Lawyer, hairdresser, barber, plumber, didn't matter. They could yank your license, and it was kind of like a, a debtor's prison with no, no bars. Okay? All right, so he introduces this bill, gets a lot of applause. He makes uh, a decision to, to sign, to, to sign a, 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 a call for House Speaker David Ralston to resign uh, because of uh, uh, activities with his private law practice. Uh, the bill advances out of committee and then just stops. The speaker doesn't much like people who want him to quit. No, well, and then the speaker has friends who might not like That's that. That's a good point. Okay, so what happened here was on the final day, you had Scott Turner going over to the Senate, I think with the cooperation of Lieutenant Governor uh, Jeff Duncan. They slipped the language of 42 into another piece of legislation. It snuck through both chambers, and now uh, once Kemp signs it, if he does sign it, it will be illegal for the state to suspend your license if you fall behind on your student loans. There you go. There you go. Just the way the capital can work. Uh, we've we've got to get to a break. So I'm, I don't want to ask a, there's, there's a really uh, hot button question that I want to get to, but we're going to wait till after the break to do it. So let me ask uh, you first, Jalen. Uh, Tom Faust was talking to me about student issues. And one of the things he said was, do you think students at the University of Georgia believe they're going to be able to make their professional futures in this state, or is it going to be, or are you going to have to go elsewhere to do what you want to do? You may prefer the idea of being in Washington, but that's not the same as to say whether you think the opportunities here are as great as they might be in other places. Certainly, I think it really comes down to the field that you're that you're going in. Um, I would love to say Georgia is a great state to do everything. Does I it have Georgia. the opportunity here? Do it has the opportunity, but I will argue that we're not there yet. Um, and also, but again, the fact that more students are staying in state because we have things in place like the Hope and Zell Miller, um, I think students are feeling more inclined to stay in their home state. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Kelsey, is the state of Georgia? right now on the right track or the wrong track. And regardless of whether you think your future is, say, in Washington, where the politicians really are, uh, is this state uh, conducive to people who want to stay? Is it going in the right direction? I think so. Um, I think we're so lucky to have Atlanta with so many big corporations. Um, I know so many friends who have gotten really good jobs and are able to stay in Atlanta. And they're even able to maybe live at home for a year or two. We're close to where they're from. Um, and I think that's really awesome and I also think that um, 
the market for state politics is so booming. There are so many young people on both sides of the aisle who are getting really good jobs at maybe some polling firms, data firms, consulting firms, or even just work in the campaigns. Um, and it's just really, it's nice to see people. We gotta get to a break, but quickly, Greg, you and Jim both made your futures as journalists here in Georgia. You it, didn't decide to move on. No, and to me, there was no better training ground than right here, working for a daily newspaper, learning the ins and outs. And I agree. Um, I mean, especially if you're, a, if you're a rising political operative, too, especially if you're on the Democratic side of the aisle, because mm -hmm. so many of these campaigns go out of state to find their talent, and there's so much talent here in Georgia, there just hasn't been that sort of um, rise yet. That's coming. Jim, last word. Uh, that's would, music I, to Audrey Haynes' I would ears. go to Chuck Bullock's class or Audrey's class to speak, not because I like to speak, but because I want the kids in that classroom in five years. I know they're going to be working every campaign in the state, and I want them to have my phone number. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do this. Uh, we've got to get to our final break of the show. When we come back, more from the University of Georgia. Sometimes it seems like the news cycle is one big runaway train headed way too fast to destination unknown. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. At All Things Considered, we plan our daily voyage carefully and take the time to see the important sights along the way. Don't worry, we'll still get you where you need to go. All Things Considered from NPR News. Enjoy the journey. Join us for All Things Considered this afternoon from 4 to 7 here on 88.5 GPB Atlanta and gpbnews.org. I'm Taylor Gann. GPB's Morning Edition producer. I've had the chance to cover the full spectrum of sports in Georgia, including women's basketball, the NCAA National Championship, and Atlanta United, who won the city's first pro championship since 1995. All different people all come together in these games, and it really just represents all of Atlanta. And I think it means a lot to the entire city to have something like this. We bring you the latest on sports right here on GPB. We're back on uh, Political Rewind, and uh, we're here at the University of Georgia in Athens uh, doing our show in front of a live audience of a couple hundred people at least. We're glad you're all here. We have just a short amount of time, and this is a question we could do two, three, four shows on, but Marissa Pyle asks a tough question. She says, given the recent viral racist video from a UGA fraternity, and now the recent Red and Black article, which was just uh, recently about blackface in yearbooks here, is a reckoning on racism needed on campus and beyond. I think we should ask the students first. Kelsey? Um, yeah, I think it's definitely a shame. You know, we've all, we are a predominantly white university, um, and when things like that happen, it just discourages people of color to come to school here, and it's just, I don't know. I, I, I do think it needs to be addressed more publicly than it has been, but that's my personal stance. Jalen, um, people listening on the radio may not realize that you are African-American. How have you felt? <laughs> well, they're listening on the I know, radio. <laughs> how are these incidents, how is the red and black article about the blackface in the past here, and then the UGA fraternity, which was suspended at least, right? Or are they gone completely now? How, anyhow, how does this, how do you relate to this? Um, first, I want to start by saying I love the University of Georgia. Starting there, I think it's important that something that you love, you want it to be the best it possibly can be. Um, I think um, racism, racist problems on our campus is not an isolated event. It's not a, oh, they're just some bad guys, or just a bad fraternity, or it's the Greek system. It's a systematic problem at this university that must be addressed if they want, <laughs> if they want to continue the diversity efforts. And I recently said to the Red and Black, um, diversity is nothing without inclusion. So it's nothing to have the numbers of minority applicants, or LGBTQ applicants, or rural or international applicants if they can come to a place and we, we um, not, we condone it, but at the same time, do we really condone it or do we condone it when it gets to the public light? When we, do we condone it when it makes CNN news? You know, um, so I think it, um, UGA is gonna have to decide what's more important to them, the money of the donor saying, hey, this is not a problem, like, I went here, my grandson's going here. Um, I can't even have a grandparent at the University of Georgia because we 
integrated in 1961. Yeah. My mother's a graduate, she's in the crowd up there, and I'm very excited <laughs> about that. But to wrap it up, to wrap it up, I know we have a short amount of time. Um, we have to understand that in 2019, we shouldn't be the school that we were in 1969, shouldn't be the school that we were in 1939. We have to understand that this mindset has to be something that students have to understand it's not okay on this campus. It's not just okay when people figure out about it. What you're saying to your friends, like it should be wrong regardless if other people figure out about it, so. Charles, you have watched change over five decades here. Has it been enough? Maybe not enough, but it certainly has been dramatic change. You know, I got here and there, it was after desegregation, but it was rare to see an African-American student at that point. And now, you know, we certainly don't have a student body which looks like the, the state of Georgia, but uh, the numbers increase. Uh, quality is very good, I mean, whatever. You know, it's, it's, we're making progress. Uh, I, I suspect that we really need to get further people students like Jalen to go out and recruit, to help recruit for us, because they're going to believe her much more than they're going to believe, again, we're on radio, an old white guy like me. <laughs> um, Greg, this is an issue that campuses across the United States have got to cope with. And Marissa's question is important because she says, do we have to find some way, a, a reconciliation of sorts? And it's nice to think about the ideals of a reconciliation, but much harder to deal with in practical terms, I think, in some ways. What does that mean exactly? What was your experience when you were here, what, 20 years ago? 15. 15. Um, <laughs> I, I was going to say that the entire state of Virginia is having like a rolling yeah. reckoning, reconciliation right now. And we had the same, um, uh, you know, sort of... Uh, uh, drama at Georgia, in, in a sense, when I was here uh, 15 years ago, when there was a lot of debate, and I think it was it was September 10th, 2000, um, 2001, when a, a appeals court struck down a uh, an initiative from Georgia that would be, I think it was a point system where it ranked students based on points. They gave certain legacies, but they gave minorities a certain point system. It was Georgia's way at the time to try to boost minority enrollment here, and it ended up getting blocked in the courts way back when, right before September 11th. Um, I, I, don't, I just remember writing the front page story in the red and black about it that day, which is a bizarre memory of mine, uh, until the world changed and everyone forgot about that ruling. But that was the campus's way of trying to cope with that back then, and obviously things have evolved a lot since then. Uh, Jim, Emory University has certainly had to mm -hmm. deal, deal with issues, not just of race, but religion as well. They were as a university uh, built largely by, or maybe not largely, but in part by slave labor. And then they went through an issue where it, it, it was revealed that their dental school, which no longer exists, was routinely uh, 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 kicking out Jewish students. They did not, the dean was anti-Semitic. It was a, a, a hidden scandal. And, and the president at the time of Emory, Jim Wagner, commissioned a documentary to be made about this. They uh, had public uh, programs in which they brought back some of these students who had been thrown out. There was a major effort by a university to address prejudices of the past, uh, and you've got to wonder if a Georgian needs to look at, at some of that sort of thing. But if we could get uh, back to this student's question here, uh, and that is, you know, do we need to talk about it more? And I, I, the, th the thing, I, it, look, it was, it was, uh, I, I was, I, I came here in '73. The same conversations you're having today, we were having then. Yeah. And the, but the thing is, we have these conversations sporadically. We have them when they bubble up. And we need to have them constantly, and they need to be brought more to the forefront. And the reason I say that is because once you spend your four years here, you t need to take that, that conversation everywhere else in the state. Because it's not, it's not confined to this campus. It's not confined to Emory University. It's, it, you can certainly find those same dynamics at the state capitol. And, and, and unless, you, unless we bubble up that conversation uh, and have it constantly, I don't think we're going to. Well, we're, I mean, to some extent, it's the, uh, it's the debate we're having over what to do with Confederate monuments right, in, in the Stone state Mountain. of Georgia. At Stone Mountain, among other places. Uh, got time for one last question. Uh, Barry Allen. Uh, is uh, concerned about the fact that uh, statistics show that rural health care in Georgia has made Georgia the worst, sixth worst state in terms of infant mortality. Why has it taken until this year to just get a, to get a waiver for Medicaid expansion? It's a good question, but Greg, it's, it's, we don't know what 
Governor Kemp is going to do. He has now sole power given by the legislature this session to decide what a Medicaid waiver will look like. It may have no impact at all yeah, on right. women who have problems with He has broad new powers that the governor's office used to have but was taken away from the governor by the legislature in 2014 when Governor Deal was in a really tough re-election campaign against Jason Carter. Republicans in the legislature back then were worried that if J Jason Carter won, that he would go for a full Medicaid expansion, which he said he would. Um, and so now we have Governor Kemp, who has broad powers over this. We're not sure what direction he'll go. Um, and there's going to be, there's, there's little, he's promised transparency, but there's, there's no legislative check over that because uh, he's got that wide latitude now. Um, but to, to go back to the question about what, why this debate has happened so long, it's partly because of Governor Deal. He, he dabbled in looking at waivers. He dabbled in this process. But then after legislative pushback from Republican leadership, he backed down very, very quickly. Uh, Jim, uh, the governor has a study commission, uh, a million dollars. Uh, we don't know how long it'll take for them to go to, to come back with their conclusions that he will then consider. Uh, but it is con it, this could be another issue for legislative races in the 2020 oh, election. Oh, no, no, it's no could be about yeah, it. Well, this will okay. be. This yeah. will be. I mean, I mean, this is something that uh, I think he, he, he's said he's going to pitch in June of 2020. It's, the deadline is summer of next year. Yeah, summer right of next year. I mean, that's 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 right after after the main primaries. So it's going to be a huge, uh, huge issue. Boy, Charles, I don't know if I'd want this to be decided in the four, five, six months before the general election. Right, but we saw that you know Stacey Abrams made it a big part of her campaign. Sure, and it you know it resonated and continued to resonate. So. Uh, do you agree with what Galloway says, that this is going to be an issue that Democrats will be able to start running on as soon as they announce? Absolutely, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they, you know, it's not going to be the full-blown entry into Obamacare, so it's going to be only a partial step, and Democrats are going to argue, let's go all the way. All right. I we're, do want to say something. Yeah, real um, quick, because we're running real short. Yes, I'll make it quick. The same thing I said about President Trump is what I'll say about Governor Kemp is that Healthcare is so important. I don't care who passes the legislation, it needs to be passed. Like, we're talking about the health of people of the state. And as much, again, as much as I love Georgia, we have to look at these things. People in the rural have to go very far to go to their nearest hospital. So, Jalen, you just got the last word on today's Political <laughs> Rewind. Congratulations. All right. Dr. Charles Bullock, Greg Bluestein. <laughs> Uh, Jim Galloway and our two students, uh, Kelsey and Dylan, it's been a real pleasure to have all of you here today. All of you in the audience, thank you uh, for being here for Political Rewind. And uh, we, we're going to come back to Athens at some point. You're just a great audience. So thanks for welcoming us, and I uh, hope to see you again. Keep listening uh, to the show as we move forward. We're back tomorrow with another Political Rewind at 2 o'clock. And then Friday we're doing something very different. Two strong, smart women who both happen to have plays at the Alliance Theater right now. Pearl Clegg and Faith Sally are going to come on Rewind with Galloway and me and talk about the issues that women are struggling with uh, and conquering uh, in our society today. So join us for that show. We'll be listening. We'll be, yeah, we'll do a lot of listening. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We'll see you.